In this report, the secret beer garden physics of airbag and silly things that people do around them. It's a request from somebody just like you. May not be a real secret. I'm John Ganogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Australia only though. Sorry, dude. Website card. Now, I've got this request from a dude who shall remain nameless, but I'll just call him MJ. MJ. Not MJ Fox, that's for sure. He's a member of an educational institution, and he doesn't want to be identified because, anyway, we'll get to that. He goes, a few years ago, you had a video on how airbags work. This video included such info as not putting yo legs on the dashboard as a Sheila. See, Americans always think it's hilarious to adopt Australian idiom. But I can't remember the last time I even used the word Sheila. Not within, you know, swinging distance anyway. It's like asking someone if they're pregnant. I was wondering why this video is no longer on the tubes. Well, I had a bit of a cull, dude. And, uh, yeah, I decided to cull anything that was potentially not just toes over the edge of the community guidelines. And maybe I did it a bit aggressively. But anyway, I get this kind of thing in the comments all the time. Could you send me a copy for a small fee? No, I'm going to do better than that, MJ. We're going to do it here and now, dude, with updated info and everything. We have a lecture, says MJ, that explains how, when, why, and why not airbag deployment. Your video would wrap up the lecture with a nice BS-free bow. Well, yeah, it's a bit of a present for those young minds, am I right? <clears throat> your videos really help with understanding and being an educated man. Your method of instruction is something I have taken notes on. I'll trowel it on, MJ. Not the swearing, he says. I'm really trying to cut back. It's not easy, FFS. I think that's a bit of a gauntlet going down, isn't it? I, I think he wants to know if I could do a whole report without fucking swearing. Shit, yeah. I think this video would be great for my class specifically. Could you let me know if it is available and if you'd let me use it? Well, I'm going to make it available right now, dude, and feel free to use it how and wherever you see fit. And if you lose your freaking job, don't come crying to me. By the way, this is from an institutional email. Please hide my contact info. If you use this email for a video, I could lose my job. Well, I'd suggest if you inflict me on a young mind, you should probably by rights be locked up for something up to and including the term of your natural life. But that's a matter for you to ponder. I'm not getting into that. Yes. Now, Let's talk about airbags, okay? Airbags is like a subset of crash management, which is like cheating evolution on the kinematics of death at high speed, which is just humanity. Two thumbs up for being clever dicks on that one, because it's going to take, like, I don't know, 100,000 years or something for us to be able to withstand those kinds of forces. See, a human being in prime physical condition, which is something I can only speculate about, obviously, is capable of running flat out at, I don't know, about 30 kilometres an hour or something for short periods of time, which is what, about 24 miles an hour or something, for 
short periods of time, but if you run across a room and achieve that sort of terminal velocity and then stop yourself with the brick wall at the end, head first, it's not going to end well for you, is it? And that's only like 30 k's an hour, and real-world crashes are faster than that. So a bunch of clever dicks with degrees in this and that have figured out a way of managing the kinematics of crashing so that you don't die when, by rights, you should. And the principal thing to remember is that there is not one crash in a car crash that you are in. It's three, dude. There's three crashes. And it's the third one that kills you. And it's clever dick hacks to the first two, which save your life. Okay, so the first crash occurs when the car hits whatever the it hits. Okay, so the, the environment or another car, things of that nature. A dirty big tree in the middle of the desert whatever. And then metal starts to bend. We've seen it in slow motion. You watch the crash test footage and it just really slow metal starts to bend and deform and the structure goes like a deleted scene from the matrix or something, right? And what happens then is work is being done on the metal and therefore a force is applied to the car that starts slowing it down. So People say it decelerates, but it actually just accelerates and the vector of acceleration opposes the velocity of the car. So you've got acceleration this way, velocity that way, speed starts reducing, okay? And it could just be a component of acceleration this way, which would uh, lead to, you know, rotational effects and things of that nature that are common in crashes. You see them in the offset frontal crash test all the time when the car hits the barrier and then starts to rotate. So there's that. And this leads me to my central thesis where I've had a whole bunch of people communicate with me over the years and say, oh, they don't make them like they used to, those cars. They, they're just pieces of shit now. They fall apart in a crash. Give me my 1970 HQ Munro because it was built like a tank. And yeah, it was. It was very rigid, which is why people used to die in them all the time, whereas... The car kind of sacrifices itself now so that people can live, which is a much better arrangement when you think about it. So the car is trashed, but the people are okay. And if you talk to crash rescue types, firefighters and that, the ones who've been in the game for decades, they'll say, they'll turn up on a scene and it looks really bad and they'll be thinking that the victims are going to need a lot of support and, in fact, they're just standing at the roadside, you know, filling out the tow paperwork, the authority to tow the vehicle and giving the cops a statement and things of that nature. So this stuff really does work. And when you see a car that's been physically destroyed by the crash and the people are okay, that is evidence of the energy that has been absorbed and managed before it gets to you. Okay, so that's kind of important. And the whole airbag and all those devices, that just fits into this general equation of crash management, right? So the management of the crash starts with really clever dudes making structures deform in a particular way to absorb energy over a broad time in the most productive way to save your life. It's a bit like chemotherapy, which is miraculous, but you have to be in a bad place to benefit from it. So crash management technology is kind of like that. It's not risk-free. But if you're having trouble visualising this, just think about 
two parallel universes out there. We'll do a thought experiment with two parallel universes and your doppelganger is in each of them, okay? So over here in this parallel universe, we've got your doppelganger. He's up on level three of a block of units and he's going to jump off the balcony and land on the concrete, right? Not good. And then your other doppelganger over here in the other universe, he's going to jump off the same balcony, level three, which is seven and a half metres-ish above the ground and falls above six metres are generally fatal, so not good. Anywho, he's going to fall into a swimming pool full of silicon breast implants. Because <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. I don't know why, but which one of those doppelgangers do you want to be, dude? Because falling into, apart from the novelty factor, Falling into the pool full of silicon breast implants, SBIs, as we call them in engineering school, that's going to increase the time duration of the collision. And although both parties have the same potential energy at the top and they acquire the same kinetic energy just before they crash, the outcome is the same. They're both stopped at the end of the process, but the one salient difference is the doppelganger falling on the SBIs his collision is going to take longer and therefore the loads on him are going to be less, okay? Because that's kind of how this works. That's the only countermeasure against crash severity is extend the time duration of the crash to the extent that it's possible to do so and this reduces the load because the work done stopping something during a crash has two variables load and time and they're inversely proportional right if you increase the time you reduce the load and if you decrease the time you increase the load which is why the crash into the concrete is far more severe because it's shorter okay that's just how this works now that's crash number one right car hits whatever the environment another car whatever crash number two occurs between you and whatever crash management structures there are in the car, like seatbelt, airbag. Hopefully it doesn't occur between you and the windscreen because you're driving some 1970s Pinto and you're not wearing a seatbelt because your head is going to go through the screen followed shortly by the rest of you and that's never good. So what happens in crash number two is you hit all of that stuff that people talk about, principally airbags, but also the seatbelts which have load limiting pyrotechnic seatbelt pretension is built into them. So they've got a little explosive charge that fires itself off and pulls you straight so that you're correctly oriented for the crash and it takes all the slack out of the system which is good because that'll reduce the shock loading okay it's like having your harness tight in a race car kind of thing and then there's a load limiter built in which is typically just like a loop of fabric that fails through the stitching when the load reaches a certain point so that the seatbelt doesn't exert an unacceptably high level of force on particular parts of you, like your ribs and that, okay? So this stuff is really clever and everyone sees it, but its purpose is really to slow down and manage crash number three, which is the one that kills you, which is between the internal parts of your body, all that glop that we don't like to think about that animates us and keeps us alive, all of that stuff and the inside of your skeleton. For example, when your brain gets 
shoved forward hard by hard inertial loads. There's all kinds of hydrodynamic fluid forces acting in your brain and it's only got the capacity to tolerate a small amount of that before blood vessels fail and before there's sort of hydrodynamic shock as a result of the fluid sloshing towards the back and things of that nature. Okay, brain goes forward, fluid goes back, there's a collision, not good, right? Another thing that commonly happens that kills people in car crashes is a major blood vessel in your chest gets ruptured like an aorta which is a significant piece of plumbing carrying blood between your heart and your lungs right it's got a structural limit and if the loads on you are such that the contents of your rib cage go forward and smash into your rib cage at a high enough speed your aorta fails there's nothing they can do at the roadside probably even in a hospital operating theater if they're not really ready for it okay so this is a huge problem and it's the cleverness of the management of those two upstream crashes that reduce the loads in crash number three which is the only one that ever kills you crash number one doesn't really affect you at all it causes crash number two which causes you to run into the car but that never kills you no one ever dies because of crash number two People die because of crash number three, and the reason that crashes one and two have to be managed so diligently is because crash number three is really easy to die from, okay? And the loads, the energy that we acquire when we drive at speeds in cars is beyond adequate to kill you, and that's why... You know, very clever engineering is needed to save people's lives, but it's not a risk-free thing, which is why I get people contact me all the time. They go, oh, crashed, and me airbag didn't go off. Me car's defective. I want compensation. And I go, well, you're alive, dude. What do you want to be compensated for? Obviously, the crash wasn't severe enough to deploy all of that stuff, and it's not risk-free. So, Let's have a think about some things that you can do that are really not recommended, okay? If you're a mum and you're in the passenger seat, maybe you're even driving, that'd be even worse, and your baby in a restraint in the back starts going off its tits for some reason, drop the bottle or something or drop the pacifier, whatever, just a bit bored, wants to have a tantrum, mums are very wired to pay very close attention and react to that kind of thing just to make sure that the next generation is okay because we've got to pass on the genes and obviously we need more humans on the planet because hey so mum's likely to turn around like this and if she's driving she might go like that and when that happens it's kind of likely that there'll be a crash and the really bad thing about that apart from just crashing is that she'll be out of position and when you're out of position if the pyrotechnic pretensioner fires off because you're in the process of crashing it can hurt you it can you know come down really hard on your clavicle and obviously if you break your collarbone it can puncture your lung worst case scenario so it's really important to respect these devices if you're driving a car and you're driving like this or you're driving like that, then I'd suggest that's a really bad idea for two reasons. One of which is if you do crash and if you do survive, you're going to have Casio G-Shock embossed in your face backwards for everyone to know exactly what you did wrong. And the other thing is that if you're 
arm is here in front of the steering wheel, it's going to spoil the deployment of the airbag, which is very precisely choreographed to reduce the loads on your chest and your brain, right? So if you spoil that by driving this way intentionally, then that does kind of make you a bit of a dick, doesn't it, when you think about it. And now, if you're a chick, which I would say, not Sheila, come on, if you're a chick and no matter how enticing this must be to be in the passenger seat, not to be sexist, but to be in the passenger seat after a lovely day at the beach in the middle of summer. It must be lovely to wind down the window or crank up the air and put your feet up on the dashboard. And the only problem with that is if steroid boy next to you manages to crash because he's looking at your legs, then your feet are going to be on top of the airbag module and it's going to deploy at its customary... 200 k's an hour or something and that's going to blow your feet up into the windscreen which that's going to be an orthopedic surgery challenge and you might get folded in half and submarined down into the footwell for the crash rescue types to discover a bit later which i've had fun and i doubt that is fun i just i can't see it so there's that and there's a whole bunch, like, here's a really interesting one i was talking to this paramedic one day and he's a guy i'd known for a while and we were just shooting the shit and he was telling me about this job he did a few weeks prior to our conversation because he, he thought I might be interested in that. He turns up on a crash and it's a side impact and the only injury is the driver has a dislocated shoulder like the acetabulum has been <coughs> separated from the humerus. Ouch. And the humerus has been busted about here. And they're all going... How did that happen? And the how of how that happened is, dude's been driving like this, holding the roof on. And he's been T-boned, and the curtain airbag deploys, rips his arm out of the shoulder socket, and breaks it. Ouch. Ouch. Now, this is there's an afterwards, so I guess that's a good story, but you've got to respect these pyrotechnic devices around you, because there is a feedback effect, right? They only go off in severe crashes where your life is on the line, right? The window is opening and the Grim Reaper is coming through and then technology fires itself off. And all you've got to do is respect it enough to be in the right position when that happens. Pro tip, there's no warning. When was the last time you were in a crash and you had time to assume the brace position or something like they tell you in the airline safety briefings it doesn't happen for the vast majority of crashes you're only aware that you crashed afterwards because most people didn't see it coming if they'd seen it coming then they would have done something about that and then there's the other type of crash which seems to happen in slow motion which takes place over a few seconds before the collision there's a loss of control or whatever and you know, you don't get the time to react then either because you're usually frozen in horrific fascination about what's coming up. So you just have to be in the right position for all of this stuff. And there's only two things I'm going to tell you aside from that, okay? Because otherwise I'll get bailed up in the comments. Thing number one, huge respect for the medical profession over the past, in particular, five decades because they have done miraculous work 
managing badly injured people and keeping them going and saving their lives, right? So huge respect to the trauma teams, to the paramedics at the roadside who can do, you know, rapid sequence induction and manage head injuries and just life in the balance. They're very good at that. So endless respect for you dudes. And the other thing that really does need some acknowledgement is civil engineering, right? Because it's good to think about the car and the clever dicks in mechanical engineering who've done all that stuff. But out there on the road, particularly on freeways, there's all kinds of civil engineering that is designed also to extend the time duration of collisions, right? Like those wire rope barriers. I know the motorcyclists hate them, but if you lose control in a car and you hit the wire rope barrier, you don't stop quickly. The crash goes for a long time, ergo, the time duration of the event is extended, therefore the loads on you are lessened. So the civil engineering that we see, in particular in freeways, and when you look at the crash that killed Princess Diana, for example, that was mainly, the fatality was mainly due to the fact that a round concrete column went all the way down to the road surface in a tunnel. And obviously, if a car hits that, it stops suddenly and people die. There's also the issue of seatbelts in that crash and stuff of that nature. But what I'm saying is when I drive through any of the tunnels in, in particular, the Sydney road system, which I use all the time, there's never a column that goes straight down to the road. It's, it's hard to hit an angular columnar type structure that just stops you dead. What there is are linear sort of concrete ramps and things of that nature and lots of armco and other things that are hidden in plain sight that most people never consider. And its function is just when some wombat hits the wall, they don't come to a rapid stop. So MJ, I hope this is okay. I'll come and visit you in prison if I ever make it to America where you reside and the choice to inflict this or not on those fragile young minds, dude, that's on you.